Cyberspace, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the good trash genre cast. It's continuing mission to explore strange new movies, to seek out new meaning and new analysis, to boldly go where no podcast has gone. Dear listener, there may be some turbulence and we might explode, but we're going to have a show anyway. Uh, we are the Good Trash Undercast, and we are so glad to be here talking oh, about... Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? <laughs> Something like that. A movie called Serenity. Uh, we need to do some introductions first and foremost. We're missing one of our regular co-hosts, Mr. Arthur Gordon. All of our best wishes are with him and with the uh, substances he is taking to make himself better. Bueller... Bueller? Bueller? Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. That was vague. That yeah, was and intentionally so. Yeah. You don't need another rest. Well, you know... We're Laurel and Hardying it. They think maybe they can remove the second head. But let's go ahead and move on and give introductions to my left, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, uh, as always. It hasn't changed. And going on a year now, we're nothing twixt my legs, we're running on batteries. <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells, and I swear with my pretty blue bonnet, I will end you. Uh, we are so glad uh, to be talking about uh, the Firefly series to a much lesser extent, and to the much greater extent, to be addressing the film Serenity, or Good Trash. But first, in case you haven't seen this movie, like a weirdo, we should probably tell you what it's about, right? Yeah, so we need a synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater. Yeah, the voice of the cinema is taking the night off. So, if you would, sir. The crew of the ship Serenity tries to evade an assassin sent to recapture one of their number, who is telepathic. That's, wow, also quite vague. Yeah, right? That is just, okay, and she's telepathic. And she yeah. is. <clears throat> That's not wrong. There, there is that going on. So, it's a movie, Serenity. It was based off the very, very short-lived, season-long odyssey of the Firefly crew uh, from Fox, who canceled it for stupidity and other reasons, mostly stupidity. And uh, it's really, it's really hard to break a show that good. And they, they managed to break it. They did, they did. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a great uh, run there. Very big fanship. Uh, with this particular film, excuse me, with this particular TV series. But and, it helped to get a film, which is really an impressive feat, I think. Yeah, it doesn't always happen, and so that's a very good thing. It's definitely franchisable, but let's go ahead and just give our quick reviews. Well, Dalton, it's host pick week. You're the one that picked it. This is your fault. Explain yourself, sir. You know, when we, when we sat down to, to do this space exploration marathon for the month of uh, April... This was kind of already on the docket as a possibility, um, but then I realized it was my host pick this month. I was like, well, obviously we're doing it now, because I, I have a really deep love for this film that uh, keeps me from being totally uh, objective about it. I really do unconditionally adore this film and the, and the television series uh, that preceded it. I just think it's great, and I think it's really, you know, much like Joss Whedon's The Avengers, it is something of an achievement. It was a television series... 
that lasted 13, 14 episodes. Um, 13. Um, and that was it. Thir- that's right, 13. Uh, and this, if you don't count the pilot as a two-parter. Mm, correct. Um, and then, you know, less than three years later, there's a big screen adaptation of it. And I just think it's really miraculous. You know, there it's not the only television series to get a theatrically released film. It's one of a handful. And it's certainly the only one that was this small of a television show. I mean, Sex and the City got two movies, but it was on for like eight years. Right. Uh, I mean, there's not... It's It stands amongst few. Uh, and I think it stands alone. And that ability of fan culture bring something back from the dead to this caliber. I mean, uh, there's plenty of TV shows have been brought back. Uh, Community uh, being a really great example of a show that's, that's online. Community has kept bringing something back. But this was, you know, kind of at the dawn of the internet, early days of the internet. Uh, managing to bring back a television series in a really big and profound way that hadn't really been done before. I, I think that's a testament to the history of this film in itself, but in terms of quality, I think it's great. I think it's just a, a really great romp. It's a fun adventure film. Uh, Joss Whedon just continues to, to show why he's so good at writing lived-in, complex uh, realities. I mean, th- this film shows why he got the Avengers. He writes a team, he writes a world with a, a deep mythology, that you just get enough of to know what's going on, but clearly there's more there to know about. Uh, and he just writes the heck out of this this crew that's you know supposed to have lived together for years and, and writes these really great you know backstories. And I think this film really does stand on its own. Uh, I think you don't get to know a lot of the characters. Uh, I don't think there's a couple of big character deaths in this that I don't think really mean anything unless you've seen the television series. Uh, because they don't get a lot of screen time in the film. They don't get to do anything interesting. Um, really, the only characters here that get a lot to do are uh, Mal uh, and River. I think Zoe gets a couple of really interesting character beats, and I think Jane does too, but I think the mm-hmm. rest of the cast is kind of underserved. And, you know, what are you going to do? It's a two-hour movie. You can only right. give so much screen time. But at the end of the day, I think it's a ball. I think it's so much fun. I think it's just a great science fiction adventure film, uh, and really I think it's one that stands up there. Uh, among the greats, I think. I think if you're talking about you know 21st century um, adventure films, this is one you need to talk about. I think it belongs in that conversation. It's it's that good in my in my opinion. And granted, as I as I stated, I'm, I'm biased here, but uh, I love it to pieces. Well, I think I th- I totally agree, Dalton. And to echo some of the words that Arthur Gordon would like to have said um, in his absence. It succeeds in that it does not do the cardinal sin of so many television series to film adaptations commit, which is the sin of being an extended episode. Every other Star Trek movie is guilty of this. Just being a long episode. Just being a long episode. Uh, Occasionally, what they manage to do is extend the world, the universe, and tell something that's more of a two-hour Film. It, it's more of a cinematic experience. It's also able to do something I think that's interesting. Is it stand stand alone without having to have seen the rest of the series? The send offs of a few characters who do die is a little shortened on you if you haven't seen yeah. the series. You'll probably. I mean, one. I'm thinking of the first one to happen. I think the way that plays is really meaningful mm-hmm. and, and gives a lot of momentum to the story. I think that second one. You don't get enough time with that character. And we'll spoil this later. We try to keep spoiler-free in our reviews. I think that second one that happens, really, you you don't... You don't really get how, how important that moment is, I don't think, if you haven't seen the series. I know, Be- I think it's fair. Because that character doesn't really get a lot to do in this film, unfortunately. He gets a, a couple of good moments, 
early on, mm-hmm. but really second half it doesn't have anything to do. Right, right, and and, and that's it's too bad. Yeah, that, that those things happen. But did Arthur, Arthur did Arthur get to watch Firefly? I don't think he has. I don't, so he and he enjoyed this. He did, yeah. obviously he's not here with us, but he did let us know he liked it quite a bit. But uh, I, I, I would have liked to have had him on because I haven't met a whole lot of people who have seen this but not seen Firefly. You've seen Firefly. I've seen several, Firefly. Yeah. It, it certainly stands alone. There are other movies that uh, are adaptations from, from, from TV series that don't stand alone. You've mm-hmm. seen Angel's X-Files movies? They're impenetrable. That's what I've heard. And you need to know all the codes and the smoking man and the lone gunman, plural, and all of that weirdness and what that has to mean before you can do anything with it. And that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. with those particular adaptations. I think the films themselves are interesting and intriguing and and, and whatever they are, with the X-Files in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the same thing that Firefly... Firefly felt to me, or Serenity felt to me, like the launching of a possible cinematic franchise. And, well, and that's what they wanted it to be, and unfortunately none of you jerkheads got out to the theater to go see it. Because it was based off a failed TV series. Yeah. And had the bad press going for you. But I like it a lot, too. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up as well. I think the action's good. The pacing's great. Uh, characters are fantastic. The introduction of a new villain is mm-hmm. fabulous. And Shoot Hell Edge of Four just knocks out of the park. And, 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 and that possible shame. arc for the future of that character yeah. is very exciting. And it took him ten years to get his, you know, probably his big, big break in 12 Years a Slave. But you can see in this, I mean, the man's a talent. To He's a good sure. actor. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to, to be a good actor in a big, you know, effects-heavy adventure film. Uh, but I think everybody's great here. I really do. Yeah, it's, it's solid performance. It's good writing. Uh, one-liners, uh, a million. And, oh, tons. Uh, love tons, it. Love it lots. So I, there you go, dear listener. We both are biased pro for yes, this particular for film. Sure. Because of love for the TV series. And we tend to be uh, nerd tour enthusiasts of Joss Whedon's. And therefore, we are in favor of this film. So, deal with it. Now, let's do what we do. Let's do some analysis. Let's talk about what's going on inside the film. Let's break it open. And I begin with you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, you know, there is a very famous saying, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, And I think at the end of the day, that's what this film is mostly about. Um, You know, obviously, we find out that this, this... this menace of the Reavers that we've heard a lot about in Firefly, never seen up close and personal. They've kind of encountered them in a tertiary manner um, in the show, two or three episodes. Uh, but they never get up close and personal with them. And that, they kind of take up a really big chunk of this film. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, really the whole story of this film was finding out where they came from. We don't know that until, you know, towards the end of the film. But then we realize, you know, about two-thirds away in the film what happened. And Reavers are crazy rape zombies, by Basically, the way. that's, yeah, that about sums it up nicely, I'd say. They're pure evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we find out that they come from good intentions. Um, there is a, a field of thought in sociology that's not really, it's only kind of considered anymore just in terms of historical relevance of how sociology developed as a field, but there's this idea called functionalism. Uh, what that means is all parts of society interlock together. It's, it's Society is functions. Everything happens because we allow it to happen because it serves a purpose. And I think that is really what the parliament, uh, the, the alliance... Uh, the Parliament of the Alliance is about. They think that we, if we can just make everything fit together and we can sand off all the rough edges, we can make everything work. And, and Mal comes in and says, no, you can't make people better. 
You can't mm-hmm. do that. You have to allow people to be their own thing. Well, as River puts it, you should, people just don't like to be meddled with. Yes, we meddle, and they want to be left alone. And, and I think an even older school of thought in sociology called organicism uh, that kind of led to functionalism, I think, is more apt to describe how society is and describe how the crew of the Serenity kind of view this situation, and, and that is one in which society is a living organism. It, it Did we, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago and even more thousands of years ago during the course of Serenity, did we set down and decide these rules? Well, yeah, but now it's kind of grown into its own thing, and we really don't have that much control over it. We have our governments, but those governments are kind of set and locked in place, and we weren't there when they were founded. Uh, society is this thing that is kind of amorphous and uncontrollable, and we can only really observe it at, at, in piecemeal and really try to impact it in piecemeal. We can't really overhaul it because it is its own thing. And I, that is what the Alliance tries to do. With the start, you know, starting in the flashback that opens the first episode of Firefly in this unification war and trying to pacify these rebels, they try to force all these gears to lock into place and move this machine. Uh, but you can't do that. And I think that's what we see in this film is you can't make people behave. You mm-hmm. can't make people better, as, as Mal says. And to me, that's that's really uh, what this film boils down to, is that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And well, that, nor that can you define the good, the better itself, through some sort of a parliamentary committee. No. It is kind of, again, a sort of amorphous thing that doesn't really adhere to logic. It is mm-hmm. kind of this, you know... The wind blows north. I go northerly. Like, and I think, again, a lot of what Mal says in this film kind of sums up what I think Joss Whedon is trying to say here uh, and how that applies in, in terms of sociology is just to look at our own governments and look at how the course of human history, a lot of the big events are defined by trying to make people fit, trying to force things. Or trying to pigeonhole things, as, as it were, trying to put people in boxes and trying to say, you are going to be this way because we said so, because we said that's what's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really problematic, and I think that's what Joss Whedon is getting at here, is uh, there is a greater truth, there is a greater purpose here, and that's what I think Shepard's trying to get Mal to teach. Why, you know, when I bring a belief, why do you assume I'm talking about God? Righto. Believe in something. Uh, because your enemy believes with whole purpose, he believes that what he's doing is the right thing. Um, and, I, and I think that's a, a strong message in Serenity that we should all take to heart is that believe in something, man. You know, if you want to affect change, that's all well and good, but there are people who want to affect change in a much more devious way than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what I, what I take away from this film just about every time I watch it. My analysis uh, of this film hasn't really changed a whole lot in the times I've seen it. So, so Dustin, where, where do you come down? What do you when you break this nutshell open? What, what do you think about? Well, you know, one of the things I cannot help but think about as I watch something like this is belief, mm-hmm. because it's it's so it's so intrinsic, yeah. to the to the structure of the plot. It's also um, some of the major lines by my favorite character from the series, Shepherd Book, for obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. Yeah. Um, I wasn't always a shepherd either, and uh, and I know I don't have to tell you any of the stories. <laughs> my analysis. Dealing with this issue of belief looks at, I guess, maybe a continuum, a spectrum between uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character. I don't even know what his name is. The operative. He doesn't the have operative. a name. He is the operative. Brian and Shepard Book 
and Malcolm Reynolds with regard specifically to belief. What Brian's character does, the operative, we, we can't keep calling him Brian yeah. because people will think it's a real thing. It's a real thing. The operative. It's not a real thing. I call people I don't know. They're either Steve or Brian. Mm-hmm. Always. And he is uh, he's a believer. He believes in the rightness of his cause and is actually truly a samurai in that way. He yeah. is totally loyal uh, to his daño and doing that sort of thing, carrying a samurai sword. I think the, the parallels are probably intentional from Mr. Whedon for that purpose. And he is of the mindset that belief itself must be totalitarian. Yeah. That belief must be something that crushes all opposition and quells all rebellion. That's that's the purpose we have, of belief. We have a moral responsibility to make everyone believe this because it is the right thing to believe. Homogeneity is the goal. Mm-hmm. It is really the way that, that that's dealt with. And on the other end of it, seems to me Malcolm has drunk Chiwetel's Kool-Aid. Because, now I know this is a little controversial, but Malcolm seems to think that belief of that sort is exactly that sort of dangerous. And that's why you should believe in nothing but yourself and the people that you care about. Yeah, no, There's okay. nothing else. That, well, he's drank the Kool-Aid and spit it out. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, see what belief does? Belief is bad. And the belief creates people like Chiwetel, which I have to say is correct. But I think there's a mediating character written in the film, not written perhaps as strongly as it could have been, but Shepard Book. Who's written very strongly in the series. In the series. We danced around it earlier. Wash is one of our casualties here, and he is a really great character in this film, because in the series, rather, because he does kind of... Uh, much like Shepard Book, force Mal to be like, it's not all about you. It's not all about what you did in the war. You know, your actions as captain affect the rest of us. Uh, and we lose him in this film. It's so, so sad. So sad. Because he's, he's a leaf on the wind, baby. I think Shepard Book gets a lot of good moments uh, in this film. But even he's more... He's better than Wash, that's for sure. For sure. But he gets even more in the series where he is trying to, to mitigate some of that in Mal and trying to be like, you know... You're not wrong, but you're not correct either. Right. And, and that's that's sort of the thing I want to talk about with belief, because what Booker, Booker, what, <laughs> what Shepard Book is doing is he is saying there is this moral system that, the, the, this belief that, that grounds him and who he is, that enables him to face certain things and to make moral choices. And to do those things in such a way that are not all that condemning of everyone else around mm-hmm. us. Because it turns out, rather than a totalitarian ethic, what Shepard Book's belief system is what we might call a relational ethic. It is an ethic of relationship, of the care of other, and of those who are on the outside. Especially those who are oppressed and unable to take care of themselves. That's the sort of ethic that we see going on with Shepard Book. And so when the baddies show up, to blow up the Haven colony, mm-hmm. Shepherd Book gets behind a cannon. Yeah, the 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 the, the preacher goes to shooting, which is fantastic. That's uh, a very Christian of me. I, I wish I'd seen the scene. Is what I want. Yeah, right. I, I don't know if I want to see that scene, or if I really want to see the scene where he survived that, and he said, "You'll be taking me with you. I'll be getting you where you need to go." Yeah, and some of that alliance connection sort of uh, mm. fun stuff that we had in the series we would have more of that happening and a, a, a little bit of him doing I wasn't always a shepherd inside that little choke tube when the Reavers are coming 
would have been kind of awesome. I'm just saying. It would have pleased me. And that would have just been fan service for me alone. But nonetheless, the belief of the, the, the Shepherd book, though, mitigates, again, this idea that Mal sees where the, uh, people like having preachers around uh, is something that uh, Book says one time during the series. And Mal says, no, they don't. They just make them feel judged and guilty. And that's because Mal has approached belief from the same point of view as Chibatel's character. Now, the arc of Mal, I think, throughout the film is that he recognizes that belief itself is not a negative thing, that there are belief and beliefs that one can have, and that one can have those shared and different beliefs in such a way that is not automatically combative, that is not automatically uh, adversarial. And that because of those beliefs, there are adversarial moments, but it doesn't necessarily make everyone your adversary. And that you find yourself teaming up with people who are prioritized by their beliefs in different ways. I'm thinking of the TAM specifically right now, and commitment to them, and then also commitment to Shepherd Book and others in, in, that are slightly different, and Nara also coming from a world and a system mm-hmm. of belief that, that all differ from Mal, and that somehow you can't band together because there are common evils. There are shared injustices that are a priority. And it's not all about making sure that everybody just does their own thing and goes blows northerly when the wind blows northerly. But we do work together from places of belief, but not places of belief that are totalitarian, uh, i.e. Mr. Chiwetel, mm-hmm. uh, and places of belief that are much more relational and shared, a la Shepherd Book. And I find that to be a very, very interesting conversation about a little thing we like to call pluralism in the trade. Uh, this idea that there are multiple viewpoints and that what's best is not to singularly stomp out the viewpoints, but rather let those viewpoints exist in a marketplace of ideas and an exchange where everyone grows and develops and better ideas begin to come to fruit through that exchange. That seems to be what Shepard Book is calling in to belief. And so he's not saying, hey, I'm saying you need to believe something. You need to be grounded in something. You need a story. You need a narrative. Obviously, Shepard Book has a particular one. But rather, he's saying something more along the lines of you've got to have this grounding narrative so that you can engage in a proper conversation with more people than yourself. Because if you live like an island, you're no better than Chiwetel's character. Because you leave everyone else still suffering and swinging in the wind. And I think that's going to be an interesting I dig conversation. It. I dig it. This film is kind of remarkably uh, relevant in hindsight uh, now in this you know this last couple of years of uh, information leaks through WikiLeaks, uh, people like Edward Snowden. And you know Greenwald won the Pulitzer today. Really? The, at the moment we're recording, Greenwald won a Pulitzer for his work with, with, Snowden. Pul- with, with Snowden. There you go. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a corollary. But go ahead, you, and the you, corollary you were speaking of. You can't stop the signal, man. <laughs> right? The truth... Well, you know, the truth is out there. A little ex to, to expose it to another television series that's got its movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think it's it's amazingly relevant today in, in this political sphere of, of secrets and of what what is being kept from us and do we need to know that and, and is it the moral responsibility of the people who know what they know to share that with the rest of us? Uh, and Mal would say so. Mm-hmm. Mal would say so, and, and Mal has to, but Mal would not have said so before his journey. That's true. Fascinatingly enough, that's true. It's because of that journey into belief, and I'm not talking about God when I'm saying yeah, that. Right? Yeah, he's talking the belief that 
the the cause that fought, was fought during the war is worth continuing to mm-hmm. fight for. And then that, that there are causes that are worthy of fighting. That yeah. people can have their causes. And all of that, that, that entails, you know, again, that pluralism. But then you have to do something about the evil around us. You gotta get on a boat you love. Mm-hmm. You do, yes. So let's go ahead and wrap it up and, uh, and do what we always do once we come to the end of our review and analysis. And let's say, shelf or trash... Else or instead, obviously, uh, I I am shelving this film. Uh, you know, I don't buy this film because it's on Netflix, uh, and I don't think I could possibly afford to buy enough copies of this that they'd make a Serenity too. Plus, everyone's too old at this point. Let's be honest. I mean, it's it's been too long. Have you seen Nathan Fillion lately? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. not Malcolm anymore. No, he's Castle now. My my mother knows who Nathan Fillion is now, which is kind of a bummer. He's still a badass though let's be real he's he's just a delight he just seems like a nice guy you follow him on twitter you should um elsa instead i you know i really didn't think a whole lot about this because else i would just say watch firefly again or watch serenity watch firefly again and then watch serenity again uh but what i think actually does pair quite well with this um is pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl i can't in good conscience recommend any of those other films (laughs) but i think you want a fun film with uh fun moral ambiguity uh and you know people on a vessel of some sort, trying to work together and find some connection. common ground. Yeah. Uh, it's a fun adventure film. It's got snappy dialogue, and there's a ship. I never would have thought of that. Really, you've never been to Singapore. What more do you want? Uh, also, you should watch all the Star Wars and all the Star Treks and all the things. Mm-hmm. All the spacey things of people coming together. And watch all the Joss Whedon things. Watch Buffy, uh, even though Dustin hates it. Watch. I don't hate it. Don't love it. Uh, watch, <laughs> watch all the things Joss Whedon's done because really they're all about surrogate families uh, and people uh, of diverse backgrounds and abilities coming together to get something accomplished. Excellent, excellent. I totally agree. I, I'm going to also say this is totally a shelfable film. I would love to see a sequel happen. It's if too only. bad that yeah. it's just not possible. We are just at nine years out from this film's release. So, yeah, we're too far. It would be nice to see them nine years later if they would just let that time gap and, like, nothing actually changed. Yeah, there's just still... This, you know, there was a committee, there was a law passed, there was a few little adjustments in Parliament, people were outraged, and then the next sports ball thing happened, and nobody cared anymore. And the very cynical Malcolm Reynolds is out on the far edge of the rim. I, I, I would love to see this movie. I'd watch it. But probably not. And to see Chiwetel show up and say, we can do something. Because he's changed. He, there, there was a, uh, they've now since released a prequel comic series detailing Shepard Book's background, but there was a lot of popular fan theory that prior to being a Shepard, he was an operative. Yes. Which I think is the most interesting. I don't think that's what ended up being the canon backstory. No, he was more of a of an officer. Yeah, an he, he did work, but yeah, I, are you familiar with the canon backstory? I, I am a little bit, yeah. I, I've read it surprisingly. He kills about 40,000 people or so. Yeah. He, something of an embarrassment. He was a bad, bad... He, yeah, he, was, <laughs> he was involved in the, the Alliance military in yeah, some he, way. Yeah, he, he massacred some folk. Yeah, and I think that's a... Uh, you know, I, I'd see... All, you give me more Firefly and Serenity all day, every day. That's mm-hmm. all I want. Yeah. And he found God um, contemplating a bowl of soup. Is that, is that... True story. You should read that comic. It sounds True good. True story. Moving on. I would... Uh, else, what's your pairing? What's your pairing? recommend that you check out uh, something else that is a reboot of a television series that is more of the this type and style that we see in Serenity. I think Serenity is why... Star Trek Into Darkness and the Star Trek 
2009. reboot 2009 yeah. from J.J. Abrams looks the way it does and works the way it does. Uh, Abrams is gone to the Whedon School with what he did with that film. I'd say that's accurate. And so I would say there is another television series that's being reenacted in some sort of way. Of course, there's a recast and all that, mm-hmm. and other details and history and backlog as far, but you don't have to know anything about Star Trek to watch that movie and think it's amazing. Now, if you do know Star Trek, there's lots of fans, there's lots of in-jokes, as there is in Serenity. And that makes it, I think, an interesting pairing. I would also say this, let's do another television uh, cinematic exploration of a television series, Fire Walk With Me from Twin Peaks, which would be the other end of the spectrum. It's utterly impenetrable. Even if you have seen the series. Even if you have seen the series, it's difficult. And just to talk about other possibilities and other ways that fandom and cult film and all of that television series weirdness makes a baby and puts it on a celluloid screen. That's interesting to me as well. And so I would recommend that just because it would be another end of another possible spectrum or Venn diagram of possibilities that you could construct with television adaptations of cinematic experiences. But let's move on. And now that we've shelled for trash, else or instead of, let's talk about how we can keep this conversation going via the various means of social media. We are located on Facebook at good tra- or facebook.com forward slash good trash genrecast. That's one word. We have one piece of feedback from the facey Facebook from the great Brigham Cole, who's trying to, I guess, maybe recover from his failures last week in giving us any feedback and being overcome in stature by another dear listener who won't be mentioned by me because he's not on the Facebook. So you're nameless to me now. But Brigham Cole did mention that he caught Captain America the Winter Soldier, which I have not caught, and made the comment that have we seen Marvel actually outdo the Avengers? Question mark, question mark. I think it's definitely possible. I, I Captain America the Winter Soldier is really quite fantastic uh, and not only in the complete upheaval of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that happens but also it's just a really good good story it's it's you know and, and this is how they pitched it it's an old school 70s spy thriller that happens to star Captain America uh, and it's a badass movie Arthur also checked it out mm-hmm. since we last recorded and he really got a kick out of it I enjoyed it a lot I don't know I would say it's easily up there with the Avengers uh, I think it's probably, and you know, I might soften on this opinion uh, once I get further out from having seen it, but I think it's probably Marvel's best, uh, the Marvel Studios films, obviously, their best single hero film. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think it's better than the original Iron Man by a long shot. I like that a lot. I do too. Uh, I think they found their legs in this. I think the story and character and action are, are all in equal tandem or you know, whatever tandem is with a third. Um, <laughs> I think they're all working here really well, and it's everything is on the right wavelength. Uh, it doesn't have that feel of that I think Thor 2 had, where it's just like, and now, this Marvel movie. Uh, which isn't to say I dislike that movie. Um, I think I liked it better than that. But I did too, but yeah. I, I think it's... I think there has been complaints about the Marvel series to that regard. I think I liked it aesthetically because it was this sci-fi fantasy. Yes. And it's so rare that you have Which is that. what I've liked about both Thor films. Yeah. Um, but I think this just really does something different and knocks it out of the park. It makes a heck of a film. It really does. I, I enjoyed it a lot, Brigham. Um, I would say, I don't know if it's better than the Avengers. I think it's definitely more focused and has more story. 
Uh, in terms of pure fanboy wish fulfillment and fun, I think the Avengers still wins. But in terms of better movie, I don't know. Maybe. Mm. I, I think I think there's definitely more cohesive story and more character development to be sure. Um, I liked it a lot, and that's what I'll say about that. Well, that's all we've got coming in from the Facey Facebook. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything about any other means of social media that might be available? Maybe it would involve a long monologue. You know, you all got on this podcast for different re- reasons, but we've all come to the same place. So now I'm asking more of you than I have before. Maybe all. Sure as I know anything, I know this. They will try again. Maybe on another film, maybe on the same franchise swept clean. A year from now, ten, they'll swing back to the belief that they can make movies better. And I do not hold to that. So no more running. I aim to tweet. Do you now? I do. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, Caleb once told me, if you can't tweet something smart, tweet something right. Because <laughs> he's dead to us now. Right. Um, but it was more fun to do that monologue. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash genre cast at good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, this week we were inundated, inundated with Caleb Vesley's stupid pictures from uh, a comic convention he went to. I think it was it's a Tulsa comic. Was it St. Louis? I yeah. thought it was Tulsa. Inundated. Inundated. My feed was blowing up. So, thank you, Caleb, for those really delightful pictures. I retweeted uh, quite a few of them. Uh, He even got us a a new follower or two by mentioning people that were there with him. So, thanks for that, Caleb. Uh, Brigham and Dustin also hashed out the... the Hello, Jason Isaac uh, reference uh, on our Event Horizon podcast. Uh, So, that was a thing that happened. Uh, Brigham Cole, also trying to desperately reclaim his throne from Caleb Vesely, gave some what was huge news right now, um, especially a couple days ago, that Stephen Colbert uh, has been uh, tapped and uh, signed on to replace David Letterman. Uh, He gave us that news via uh, Variety magazine. I understand that he will be Stephen Colbert, that Colbert, the persona... Well, Stephen Colbert is how you say his name, but yes, he'll be Stephen Colbert, the man, not Stephen Colbert. I thought there was a difference. No, yeah, it's the same I thought Colbert really wasn't how you pronounced it. No, it is really Colbert. Oh, really? It is. Um, Filmmaker and friend of the show, Nick Samford, uh, mentioned us as part of a Follow Friday on Twitter, so thanks a lot for that. So did the Day SX Media Podcast. Once again, gentlemen, uh, really appreciate that. Brigham did give his input uh, on uh, punk rock and said, there's only one band that matters. There's a reason they call The Clash the only band that matters. Uh, He also gave us a really great mental floss link to some, uh, excuse me, sometimes I forget how to talk, to some really fun uh, Firefly trivia that uh, I did retweet. Also, Caleb Vesley decided that he has become the Loki of the Good Trash Genre cast and is trying to pull us apart via social media. Uh, and he, he said that he's he's the arch enemy of the Good Trash Genre cast. You know, Caleb's mind is like a bag of cats. I can verify that. And we also got a new follower. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a bot, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, it's the founder of ChargerTrade.com. Yeah, I'm thinking probably not. So, uh, suck it, Michael Lamont. If you're real, do tell us, and we will give you a very well-worded 
eloquent and movie quoteful apology. That is a thing that will happen. I will personally make sure that that occurs. Well, now that we're done doing this part, you know what it's time for. It's time for the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> this week's game, we're going to play a game... No, not the obvious game, which would be, what's a series you want to see a movie of? Right. We decided not to do that. Bah, bosh. No, rather, we're going to talk about the characters, and we're going to talk about morality of those characters. There's a thing with the internet, also with tabletop gaming, where the dice have more than six sides. That's right. We're going to take a look, a little look at character morality alignment. Uh, this is something that, uh, if you've ever been on the internet, you've probably heard of, um, but it comes out of you know classic uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and it is this idea that a, a character's moral uh, and personal attitudes are represented uh, on this this chart of alignment that is lawful uh, to good to good to evil and then lawful to chaotic. It's kind of this diagram, if you will. There's nine possible slots. So lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, lawful neutral, true neutral or neutral neutral, chaotic neutral, lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil. So you're not just whether or not you like helping people or you like stabbing people. You're also how you fit in the hierarchy of the system. Because some of us like to help them while we stab them. Exactly. And that's really kind of just comes out of the fact that there's a lot of characters in the Serenity and Firefly universe that really fit into these, these slots really well. So we decided we're going to take a couple of the characters, we're going to just kind of go down the alignment, name a character from Firefly Serenity that we feel fits in that slot, and maybe give us some other examples, right? Right. Okay. Do we want to start with the obs one? Well, you know, I feel like we'll just go down the chain. Just go down we'll the chain. We'll go back and forth. Is okay, that right for you? That's, that's fine. So I'm going to kick it off. I would say that in the Firefly Serenity universe, uh, I really feel like Shepard Book is probably the lawful good. Uh, he's, he's a man that's about compassion, and he's about helping people, uh, and he's also bound to a code that he, he, you know, that is very important to him, that, that his moral actions also fit within this code, this ordered structure of, of his faith. Uh, I would say other examples of those that work really well are Batman and Captain America. Uh, both are committed to the greater good and also follow the codes. Captain America being the ideals of American society and Batman being the love. I have a niggle with that pick in you that talk, I, I, would, yeah. I would say Shepard Good, uh, Shepard Book mm-hmm. might be the neutral good. Mm-hmm. One, one slot over to mm-hmm. the right, I guess, on this particular scale. And in that, he is not always a shepherd and is mm-hmm. willing to exercise his knowledge of crime and criminality and is willing to violate some of the pieces. The good book's a bit fuzzier on the subject of kneecaps. Right, that's it. That's exactly the quote I was going to go with. Is yeah. that His book says a lot about murder folk, but it's pretty fuzzy about kneecaps. Yeah. And he does sort of end justify means. Okay. He does sort of act in a way that there are greater governing principles. Because I think mm-hmm. the difference between the lawful good and the neutral good is that the neutral good is governed by principle. Okay. Uh, is governed by principle rather than writ, rather than the law. The, 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 the books themselves, in this case, the Bible. The book. The book, right? Uh, Shepherd the book, which is hilarious to me as a name. It's not very creative, Joss, I'm just saying. But nonetheless, that sort of understanding, fundamentalist sort of mm-hmm. thing, rather than something more inspirational, something more mm-hmm. principle-oriented, seems to be more what Shepherd book 
does in my mind. So I would say he is something more like the the neutral good. So where do your picks for lawful good? Well, I mean, a lawful good pick would a Superman. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Because he's a Boy Scout. He's a Boy Scout. Dan Aykroyd's race stance from Ghostbusters. Mm. He is going to do the right thing all the time. He's a complete Boy Scout. And he, disgustingly, annoyingly so. But, as we pointed out, as I pointed out with Batman, lawful good doesn't always mean lawful nice. That's correct. And then I think there is even some shifting there. That's where Batman could kind of go one way. Or... We could kind of... He kind of can float along that spectrum of good. Which might be the same thing I'm trying to say about Shepard Book yeah, as well. Like, which, is, which is part of why this conversation is fun and interesting. Exactly. Do you have a Firefly Serenity character that you feel like fits into that lawful good pigeonhole? The lawful good pigeon from Serenity? Mm-hmm. From Serenity? Or Firefly. doesn't matter. Or Firefly. I don't know that I know a character that I would throw in there other than perhaps... One of the uh, citizens of the Amish town, where they, the you know, I'm thinking of the sort of head elder of the town, mm. where Mrs. Reynolds is picked up. Yeah, he's probably yeah, he's a nice guy with very little development, very little guessing, but all that sort of shorthanded, immediate sort of statement. He looks like a very nice, kind okay. Amish man, right. and I would say he's probably your lawful good. Well, I guess we'll move on to neutral good. Neutral good, and I would say that from- this is harder. This is harder. I, I would say that that's probably our Kaylee, uh, maybe our Wash. I think they're both committed to doing what is morally right, but they don't really care about the law, uh, whether or not they're breaking it or whether or not they're abiding by it. They're just all about doing what's right for other people, especially Kaylee. Uh, I think Wash is a little bit more committed to his wife than uh, the greater good. I think Kaylee is really all about helping folk out. Um, for other examples of, of that, I, I would say Luke Skywalker is a really great example. I'm going to good. Yeah. Luke, uh, you know, more than the Jedi of old, is all about uh, doing the right thing. And sometimes that means putting on black and force choking a pig guard. <laughs> right. Uh, right? So I, I think that's, that's what he's about. I, I would say that when you look at neutral good, that's where you get a lot of your most classic heroes, uh, a lot of the, the big, most famous heroes. Um, I would say Spider-Man is a really good example of that. He doesn't really give a crap if the cops are chasing him, if the Daily Bugle's slandering him. He's just going to go out and help some people. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And then there's this sort of idea that uh, the neutral good is uh, more interested in just getting it yeah. done. Is the truest hero. Because... It, it, yeah, is, is that sort of you know heroic. And, and it's always like the flawed hero. Yeah. And that, that's kind of where that neutrality is achieved, mm-hmm. is that obviously, clearly, this person's good, but there's also this evil dark secret. I'm thinking Lancelot from the King Arthur series. Gotcha. Whereas King Arthur would be your lawful good, probably. Right. And Lancelot is clearly good, but he's also got this sort of lust problem with Gwyneth. Yeah, he likes, you know, getting it down. He likes the ladies. So what would would your picks be for... Obviously, you've said uh, Shepard Book's probably neutral good. It was really my my true good. uh, Or neutral good. neutral good. And then, uh, I think Lancelot's a great neutral good. Lancelot would be where I would go outside the universe Mm -hmm. to somebody. Like, this is someone who clearly is prioritized himself towards the good, but clearly is also flawed and is driven by his passions and I, his own personal peccadilloes. Speaking, right? speaking of, I would say, and this is one you see on the internet a lot listed as neutral good, uh, I would say that Dwight from Sin City, uh, a little King Arthur crossover, uh, where we've got Clive Owen being in that King Arthur movie from 04 or whatever, he probably qualifies as a, a neutral good. He's all about helping the girls of Old Town and solving this murder that uh, Benicio Del Toro committed. Uh, but really, he doesn't give a crap that Benicio Del Toro is a cop, only in so much as that it affects the safety of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't kill, care that he killed a cop. Yeah. 
So I think that's interesting. I guess we'll move on to Chaos, which is clearly Malcolm Reynolds. I, right. The obvious I think one. Obvious. He's a rebel, uh, but he's all about doing the right thing and helping people. But damn it if he's going to let some law tell him what to do. And then, of course, the um, human from which he was cloned was Han Solo. Clearly. Uh, Han Solo is a great example. Robin Hood, I think, is another classical example. I like to look at Detective McNulty from The Wire, though, uh, who is all about solving the case uh, to show that he's smarter uh, and he doesn't really care if he's bending the rules at all mm-hmm. because he does want justice in the end. I, I think a lot of the times it becomes about him showing he's smart, which might drift him over into chaotic neutral because he's a little self-serving sometimes. But I think he, at the end of the day, he really does, uh, especially in season five, it becomes about how do I get people to pay attention to the injustice that is happening. A similarly drifty character would be Daryl from The Walking Dead, yeah. who is clearly chaotic and doesn't care what anybody says, but mm-hmm. wants to do the right thing, wants to take care of the community, wants to find that little girl in season two. Mm-hmm. You know, those sorts of intrinsic moral... For about 30 episodes, it seems like, wants to find that little girl. So I guess we'll move on to Lawful Neutral. Lawful Neutral, yeah. Uh, and the I, Neutrals themselves. We are on to the Neutrals, and at the first on, on the list is the Lawful Neutral. The person who isn't really concerned with what is, quote, morally right, so much as what upholds these values, these traditions... The system. Uh, and I think an example from Firefly slash Serenity is Zoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoe is not so much concerned with, with what is morally right so much as what follows her captain. What is the law on that ship? And she is the enforcer of that law regardless. Uh, she might question Malcolm sometimes as she does in Serenity. These are our friends and you want us to desecrate their bodies. She does it still. Yeah. Um, and I think some great example, well, the best example I could think of for that was Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judge Dredd does some straight up evil things, but he is the enforcer of the law. I, I would just go say every judge in every Western yeah. ever. Yeah. I mean, all of them. That that really is the character yeah. that we're looking at when we're looking at this lawful, mm. lawful neutral. Yeah. They don't care what you've done. They there there is no sort of you know, understanding that that way. It's just this is cold, blind justice. This is about upholding the system, and yeah, which can be good, which can, can be good, and can be evil. Right. It isn't that, that neutral uh, morality. And so it, it, it carries the benefit of impartiality, yeah. which is obviously a good thing, but it also fails to understand human element, typically, mm-hmm. is the failing of this particular kind of character. Well, what would you say? Is you you got to pick from Serenity? For from Serenity besides Zoe? I mean, Zoe yeah. is. I it. think, I I think, think she's yeah. nailed it. I, there's, Thank you. There's really no one else to, to, to say. You got any other good examples other than the Western Judge? I think that's a great pick. I mean, you could say, I would say this, there's a there's a particular scene in which, uh, in the series, back when River and Simon are uh, locked away in some town, mm. and uh, there is uh, this accusation of witchcraft. Witchery, yes, and I remember. Because it fits a definition that um, is not in the Bible, by the way. That particular character would be a, a neutral lawful because he would perhaps defend the innocence of this girl. And perhaps he wouldn't if she's going to tell the truth about how he came to power. Mm-hmm. And ah, that's a good scene. Yeah, it is. There in the nick of time. So he's neutral. What's that make us lawful? So and, big damn heroes. And, and so and we like, just... oh, you are telling the future. And yeah, you're going to go. Yeah. And, and I love that scene. I'm sorry, just where they show up to rescue them. Yeah. Yeah. Big damn heroes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, I guess we'll move on to true neutral. Neutral, true, neutral, neutral. Which are hard to pick. And true neutral is easier to say. Yeah. Um, for for Firefly Serenity, I think it comes down to River and Simon. Uh, I mean, S- Simon obviously breaks the law to help River. 
uh, River doesn't really have any capability of morality, although you could argue that um, she is so stricken by the injustice that occurred on Planet Miranda. But I think I call, I go neutral on them because their allegiance is to each other, mm-hmm. uh, and they will do anything for each other, which I think is really kind of a, a beautiful thing about the relationship on the on the series. I was thinking about Inara to an extent. I think Inara could definitely be too. Um, although I would al- almost go lawful good or even law- lawful neutral or even lawful good on her uh, because she is all about this system of the companions. Uh, but she also does have that, that good the hooker with a heart of gold, which is a Western uh, which, archetype. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is. And, and she is all about helping people, I think. Um, but she, she is kind of a fuzzy moral character. Uh, she, she does something that, uh, I mean, she trades uh, her, her company for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is lawful within the system, and the morality of that uh, doesn't really, there isn't really a, a definite morality of that, I don't know. Uh, so that's why I think that, she's that, a that, that neutrality seems to be heightened because of that. Exactly. I get that. She is definitely a grayer character, but she is all about helping the people of Serenity and really all the people they come across. She's one of the, the more uh, selfless people, I think, in the series. That's fair. But I would say I'd say she's probably a good pick for True Neutral. I, I think some really great examples of True Neutral are uh, the dude from The Big Lebowski. Fair, yeah. Yeah, he's just, hey, man. <laughs> the dude of eyes. I'm the dude. <laughs> I'm right. the duder, the duderino, if you're not on the whole brevity thing. Um, I think Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, uh, which has just come back on, uh, that means nothing to Dustin, but internet, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think that's a good pick. Game of Thrones is full of fun picks for this show. Because yeah, that, well, that's what for, they do. For this game, because that, that show is so full of moral ambiguity. You've already said Inara is probably... Well, let's, let's utter another universe, the Harry Potter universe. I would say Professor McGonagall oh, is, yeah. is your, your true neutral. Yeah. Is that she will... Be the stickler for the rules, it seems, unless we can get us a good seeker for the Quidditch team. Yeah. Uh, or she, unless, you know, a fascist is enforcing the rules. And for, yeah, and so she will stand up to uh, the, the Dolores Umbridges. She will take umbrage at the umbrages of the world. But um, we, um, we rimshot that. And, and say there, there seems to be a, this purely intrinsic motivation that... At first blush, you might guess her to be something more of a neutral good or lawful good. But as the series kind of progresses, she picks her own way all the way. It it really is a purely internal motivation for her. And she is very loyal and committed uh, to several things. And that's really where that neutrality comes in. That she's committed to Albus. She is committed to Hogwarts. She's committed also to Gryffindor House. And where those sorts of commitments lie, they, they sometimes lie in conflict. And she does whatever she... And she's committed to the rules, right? True neutral is hard to understand. Uh, in, in D&D, they usually say it's a druid. It's somebody who's committed to nature and the balance of things and maintaining the balance uh, regardless of what that means. I say that's probably the gun. Tree, tree beard. Yeah, tree beard. Yeah, the obvious yeah. one, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess we'll move on to chaotic neutral. Uh, and obviously Jane, right? Jane, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The I man mean, they no call Jane... Uh, well, he, he absolutely sells out River and Simon. Several the, times. It, several times in one of the episodes. And couldn't have done it without you, bud. He yeah. seems like there's a tinge of guilt, but he learns nothing. Yeah. And and then we get, you know, but he doesn't revel in, in badness, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and we see that a lot in Serenity. These all these people all died for no reason, mm-hmm. you know? And then he that he abhors that, and the, especially the Reavers. He's, I don't get that. What's the fun in killing and eating somebody? Yeah. You know, I'll kill a man, sure, but... Yeah, he almost skirts I don't take no pleasure in it. To, 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 towards chaotic evil, he could go there, shiny, yeah. let's be bad guys. Yeah. 
But he really doesn't want it. No, right? he's not a bad guy. No. But also, he doesn't have any use for concrete morality. He doesn't he's have any really use for your rules. It's yeah. really what he is. He's awesome. He's yeah. a delight. Yeah. The hero of Canton, the Mad Max. So who are your guys? Um, I think Mad Max is a great pick. Mm-hmm. He's all about staying alive. And uh, it doesn't really matter how that gets done. He doesn't have any use for these these uh, people who've built their wall to keep out the, the chaotic evils of this world. He's just like, give me some gasoline so I can get the hell out of here. Um, I think Deadpool from uh, Marvel Comics is a great example. He's just wacky, and he does, helps the good guys. Sometimes he's a bad guy. He really just doesn't like rules, and he likes mm-hmm. being wacky and silly. Well, I mean, to go with that same sort of rogues gallery, you could probably argue the Black Cat might yeah. fall, you know, the Catwoman. Catwoman, Black you know, Cat. They're the same character. The, yeah, exactly. They're the exact same character. And, and another two of the same characters, Sanjuro and the Man with No Name. Yeah. Uh, would also be your chaotic. Yeah. Uh, I think the Man with No Name's a great neutrals. chaotic neutral pick. So I guess we'll move on to the evil. The evil. we got to get the bad guys now. Excuse lawful. Me. We begin with lawful. We start with lawful evil. Obviously. The operative. The operative. Clearly. Yeah. Brian. Brian, as, as we've taken to calling him. Uh, because he even says at one point, I know, he says, well, you know, he, Mal asks him uh, about this better world he's building. He says, mm-hmm. there's no place for me. Yeah, there. I want a world without sin. There's well, no place There's for no me. place for me there because I am evil and what I do is evil. And he, he says, I have no illusions about that. But he is a true believer and believes it is for the greater good. When he is defeated, what does he do? He tells his men to stand down. Don't kill these people. He, you know. Mm-hmm. The job's over. We lost. Let him go. Right. He's no. He's not malicious, and he takes no pleasure in what he does. But he believes it is the right thing, without question. I think some great examples of that are Darth Vader. Uh, when we look at lawful evil, we look at evil characters who work within a system, who are self-serving, who are backstabbers, but also work within the rules. And Darth Vader is a really great example of that because he follows the rules of his master without question, and he is evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it obviously has a great character arc. Uh, but I think a perfect example of that is hot in pop culture right now is Frank Underwood from House of Cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I like, I think that's a, a really great pick for it because he is, he is truly evil, but he's the evil politician. He works within the systems of the United States of America and follows the Constitution to You'll, you'll never get this evil. guy kind of yes. the lawful evil is, yeah. is the way they're set up. They are kind of set up in that, yeah, you'll never get him because he works within the system and you just, he's untouchable. That's kind of your lawful evil. Do you have any picks other well, than the operative? You know, I was thinking about uh, Bane as far as the spectrum of Batman villains because there is sort of the law. Again, this is not a legal law. Yeah, this is the law it's of vengeance. The code, well, and the code of the League of Shadows. The League of Shadows. If you want to go back to the comics and take him out of that world, there is this 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 honorable code, this code of mm-hmm. honor that is about you know enforcing a fair fight. The predators from. Yeah. Uh, the Alien and Predator franchises. Not armed, therefore we can't shoot. shoot yeah. yeah, but also we're going to murder you and skin you alive. Right. And, and so so I wanted to mention, Bane, because that lawful evil doesn't have to mean the law that we all subscribe to, nor does it have to mean a agreed-upon shared law with those who are his victims. And, and, and so I, I think Bane really kind of helps spread that particular quadrant out a little bit. I think that's a good pick. So we'll move on to true or uh, to uh, neutral evil, and there really isn't an example of this from Serenity. But if you go back to Firefly, I think Saffron, Mrs. Reynolds, is totally. a great example. That was my pick. I, yeah. I, I'm so glad you were thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate her so much. Because she is very evil, but she will work within the system. She will break the rules. She doesn't care. She is totally self-serving, mm-hmm. uh, and will get get it done. 
Uh, I think Hannibal is a great example of neutral evil. You know, clearly he's an evil serial killer. Uh, TV some, series Hannibal. TV so. series Hannibal. Uh, uh, I think, yeah, I think more so because he works with the FBI a lot of the time and helps them a lot of the mm-hmm. time to his own ends. Uh, I, I think that um, serial killers, a, a lot of, you know, kind of anti-hero-esque serial killers are good examples of this. Um, but I, I, I went down another Game of Thrones character, Littlefinger. Uh, again, that means nothing to Dustin, but those of you listening might I'm sure you're right. Too. You uh, always are. I Thank you. Do you have any picks for uh, Neutral Evil? Let's keep it Batman. Let's talk about Harvey Dent's uh, Two-Face, yeah. where it is clearly he's evil, he's killing folks. But indiscriminately. It's, but, but it's arbitrary. Yeah. Because of the flip of the coin, and of course the inspiration that, that made that happen is Anton Chigurh yeah. from, which is again a, a... Great pick. Completely neutral, but clearly evil. And don't put it in your pocket. Don't, don't care if you live or die. Uh, the last neutral evil I might suggest would be the shark from Jaws. Yeah. I mean, almost it's... With those sort of extreme exceptional characters, it's a hard character to find. Yeah. It, it, when the character becomes something like a force of nature. The aliens. The aliens. From Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien. Yeah. I, Zombie era Jason Voorhees, perhaps. Yeah, just soulless killing. Michael Myers. Michael Myers, especially reboot Michael Myers. Yeah, just absolute. They are not committed to absolute destruction, they're just committed towards killing. And that's where we get to Chaotic Evil, which is all about. Burning it all down because some men just, just want to watch the world, world burn, and obviously that's the Joker. Right, he's he is the ultimate chaotic evil example. Do we have chaotic evil in the um, Firefly series? You think other than the Reavers? Well, I was going to say the Reavers. The clearly. Reavers. Uh, I think you might also have Miska, the Crime Lord, uh, in the Firefly series. Um, who help me out? I'm he, the uh, the vaguely Eastern European crime boss who recruits the gang for a job and then shows up a couple episodes later. Ten four. Yeah. Uh, who's all about this? Just really, just like this weird, brutal code. But uh, yeah, he could be a, he could be a lawful evil because he works with his own code. But it's a it's it is a code that is so antithetical to the quote the law that I think he might be chaotic evil because he's all about tearing down the old world and building his That's new fair. world. I think a lot of the most evil of all evil evil villains are chaotic evil. Um, you know, people... Voldemort! No, not Voldemort. Voldemort's a lawful evil, for totally sure. He's a fascist. Uh, I think the uh, the Emperor is even so lawful evil. So you, you, it's hard to find a true chaotic evil, and that's why the Joker's such a perfect example. Any character you can think of that fits that some men just want to watch the world burn. Loki. Loki's a good chaotic evil, yeah. He's a good pick. Uh, sometimes shifting into that chaotic neutral role on, on occasion. Uh, to keep it in the Marvel Universe, I think you could go with Thanos and his equivalent in DC, Darkseid, uh, and the guys who created Thanos would be like, eh, we kind of ripped that off. Or maybe it's... Whoever came up with it first, the people on the other comic book team said we totally ripped I'm them off. I'm not sure who does. Yeah, that's a chicken they've admitted They've admitted they ripped them off, but I can't remember mm-hmm. who it was. Uh, but I think those are good examples of chaotic evil. There's just these evil alien overlords that want to rule and conquer and destroy the galaxy. Uh, because it's not ruling for the sake of order, it's ruling for their own, just wanting to rule everything. Well, they could fit into that lawful evil maybe. Yeah, that, that, again, there's this great play. That's why this conversation yeah, is so much fun. It is. I, I think maybe your green goblins uh, and your hobgoblins, I think you got your chaotic evils there, mm-hmm. probably. Um, I think um, your your apocalypses uh, and from X-Men, uh, I think he's a, he's a good chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. Again, think about... I must destroy the world. There you go. All James Bond villains, lawful evil. Chaotic evils are hard to find, friends. Top dollar in the Crow film is Definitely chaotic, chaotic evil. Cause, Definitely. Because, again, he just wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. yeah. 
burnt, fire it up. Yeah, and, and so there, there's something to that, I think. Did you think of any Chaotic Evils, or we pretty much well, named well, them all? Besides Top, top Dollar. dollar. Yeah, yeah, that obviously. was the one I had. Yeah. That was a good one. I think yeah. Top Dollar was a good pick. So I guess we're done. Yeah, that's the game. We'd love to hear your Serenity picks, your favorite Quadrants categories. Yeah. You've taken the BuzzFeed survey yeah. in which you are. Uh, we'd like to hear that as well. That way we can assemble our team if ever we need to. I would love to see some, some you know, if, if you think we're wrong, if you think uh, there's better examples, uh, if you really want to be like, hey, here's a really great example, uh, you know, let us know. I. I think one of the more fun Firefly characters to play with is the bounty hunter from uh, the final episode of the series. Um, Earl? Early? Jack Jack Early? Or what? The, the black bounty hunter, the existentialist who right, comes right, across right, right. to take uh, River. I think he's a really fun character. Probably mm-hmm. on that evil spectrum, but I'm not sure. Probably. But, uh, so let us know what you think about Serenity Firefly characters. Let us know your favorite examples of this quadrant. I tell you what I like to see. Hmm. This is just something for funsies. If dear listeners want to put out the effort, I'm talking three or four sentences. But what I want to hear is something along the lines of, what would you place your, your dear hosts? Where would you place Ooh, please them? Please place us. And, and tell us why. Do justify. Yeah, be your, sure to give some reasons. Your, your, your placement. Again, I don't want a book. I don't want a paragraph. I want a couple, three or four sentences, but that would be fun, and I guarantee you everything will get read on air. Everything, yeah. If you do that, I swear to you, yeah, I, as your as your hosts, I, I swear dutifully that uh, that would be too much fun to Especially in as much as it would shame Arthur Gordon. We swear it would yes, be read because clearly air. Arthur Gordon's the hardest of us to place. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> because... He is a neutral evil, but he's he's ethereal. He <laughs> is and ethereal, red, the ethereal red Sasquatch himself. So I guess it's time to move on to the final thing we do every week. And you know we got to talk about Sky's fire this week in pop culture. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? <laughs> so I guess I'll go ahead and kick it off, Dustin. If that's all right with you. Go ahead, buddy. I'm willing to hear it. I'm excited to Jeez. hear what he fires j- you up. He's just gesturing at me like this is a visual medium. This is radio, not TV, um, man. You well, gotta keep get to put the gun down, Hans. <laughs> uh, well, we already talked about uh, Captain America, which was something I was very, very fired up about. Uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, I've started watching the HBO series Six Feet Under, one of their older shows, starring Michael C. Hall, pre-Dexter fame. Uh, and also a lot of really other great actors, Francis Conroy, Peter Krause, um, a couple of uh, not frequent but infrequent cameos from Richard Jenkins, Frey Rodriguez, a lot of really fun actors in here about a family that runs a funeral home. Mm. Uh, so each episode opens with the character dying, and yeah, it's got your typical family drama stuff, but it's also every episode's wrestling with these different aspects of death and loss and uh, both religiously and, and the mortuary uh, industry itself. The, well, the, the industry, the business of preserving people's loved ones and bearing, disposing of people's loved ones, uh, you could say. Uh, and it's a really interesting show. It's a lot of fun. It's very funny. And it's also wrestling with a lot of interesting ideas, both uh, you know, spiritual and secular, and all these uh, different ways that, as a society, we can approach and examine death. And I think it's just a really stand-up show. Which is right up in my wheelhouse, and I haven't got to it yet. You should check it out, Dustin. Yeah, I, think I want you, to. You dig it a lot. Uh, also, I'm fired up that The Raid 2 is in wide release. Um, those of you who listen to the show know I was a gigantic fan of the original Raid Redemption that came out in 2012, and the sequel, Raid 2, 
Just the raid, too. No colon. Um, um, although, probably bad guys will be sans colon by the end of this film. Probably. There'll be colon laying on the floor. Yeah. The, if you haven't seen the original raid, check this out. I haven't seen the raid, too, yet. You'll probably hear more about it uh, later in the year, uh, probably in the weeks to come. Uh, I'm going to go see it very soon. I'm super, super excited. Um, Kung Fu. It's fun. Especially when it's done really well. I'm in. So, uh, finally, I do want to wrap up. Um, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago uh, on the Event Horizon episode, but now I can tell you I have seen the first two episodes of Game of Thrones. I'm quite excited. It's been pretty eventful so far. No spoilers here. Uh, Though, if you want to check out, if you want to hear more about Game of Thrones, because that's not what this show's about, you can check out former co-host Caleb Masters' podcasts, uh, The Cast Beyond the Wall, which is a Game of Thrones recap uh, show where they kind of break down the episode, talk about it, mull it over. He's got a kind of a rotating panel over there, and you might hear your host uh, truly uh, over there on a episode later on in the season. So stay Whoa, tuned for that. Branching out. Yeah, I might I might Skype into the uh, the land of um, stupid heat. Uh, it's a dry hate. Uh, <laughs> I might Skype out to Arizona uh, with Caleb Masters uh, to to do an episode of that later on. So. Uh, stay tuned for that and more news to follow. But yeah, guys, I I love Game of Thrones. I think it's total, totally great. Uh, I've never read the book, so if you tweet me spoilers, I will hunt you down. Dustin Sells, what are you fired up this week about? Well, you know, I got something old, something new, something blue, something borrowed, borrowed something new. Blue. Uh, but I got something old and something new, actually. Yeah. Uh, something old is I, I just picked, out, uh, picked up She's Full of Secrets, a critical approach to Twin Peaks. Which is probably why Firewalk with me was up in my head. But it's pretty much what we do. A collection of essays, about a dozen or so essays, about the television series. That sounds fun. It's kind of awesome. And I have been percolating with a handful of friends of mine. And we've talked about... Because that book was written in 1994. And that is the last theoretical critical approach to Twin Peaks that has been written. And it's 25 years old now. And we were having a conversation about, hmm, maybe someone else should write a book. Uh, there, there are conversations. Knowing you, it's all probably just a lot of blustery talk. Mostly because that's what I do, uh, and never ever finish on what I commit to. Uh, something new that's going on. Stanley Donen, a little bit of movie trivia. He wrote and direct, rather, he directed one of the most important films of all 20th century cinema. A film called Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. Hasn't directed anything since for cinema since the 80s. 1999 did a made-for-TV movie. Is in talks. To make another movie. How old is he? I don't know. I know he was still I, alive. He should be dead. Clearly. That's like Sidney Lumet directing movies until, like, died while directing, you know, before the devil knows you're dead. That didn't actually happen. But I didn't know God. Yeah. That's cool. He's still kicking and he's making a movie. And it's it's a super meta movie just like Singing in the Rain was. Before there were meta movies, there was Singing in the Rain. I'm just saying. Because it's all about making a set of movies. And so he's going to do that in the form of some sort of screwball comedy uh, along the lines of what he's done. The last thing I'm fired up about is film theory. Why is that? There are things happening in film theory. There are conversations being had currently. Nick James wrote an editorial in the front end of the latest Sight and Sound. What did he say? And he was talking about the circuit of festivals that happens all in Springfield. Yeah. The... Problem and wonder of where we are right now in current society is that there are lots of independent films being made. There are tons of indie films being For made. For sure. 
and they're getting the financing being made, but they're not necessarily getting the distribution, not necessarily getting the viewership, and they're not necessarily getting the the audiences that they're seeking. And he was having this, he was writing this article about how at Sight and Sound, when it comes to the festival circuit, there's kind of two camps. There's a camp that's very interested in the actors and the popular culture and the press and the interviews that go along with that. And there's this other side that's very interested in the directors and the filmmaking and the craft and all of that that goes in the films. But there are so many of these sort of crafted, small films that are being made. And he's saying specifically Only Lovers Left Alive by Jim Jarmusch mm-hmm. that's just come out starring uh, Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. And he is beginning to pause at the possibility that we need to start thinking about independent film in terms of authorship by the big name stars who choose to perform in certain projects. Because they are the ones that get those movies seen. And get those movies Because Jim Jarmusch is a name that'll get uh, a movie nerd to see your movie. But Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston are names that'll get your less deep cut moviegoer to go see a Jim Jarmusch movie. Much like Johnny Depp in 1994 got less deep cut people to check out uh, Dead Man by Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, absolutely the same thing. And so he's thinking about shifting our auteurship to something with actors. Who choose to do little tiny micro-budget films. And, and the thing is, all the actors do that. Brendan Gleeson's in a, in a very small film right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of these kind of big actors that we really love to see that are powerful forces of nature on screen. Brad Pitt basically helped get the assassination of Jesse James made. I mean, yeah, these are good examples. And so perhaps we need to start thinking about authorship in terms of the sorts of scripts chosen by a particular actor because of their own proclivities mm-hmm. and interests and voice in that it's sort of the secondary voicedness, this this sort of uh, symbiotic, parasitic relationship where the voice is, is commandeered by the actor and it becomes their vehicle, even though it is this personal, individual, small source for that cinema always has been. And I think that is a very interesting development in cinema studies. If we start thinking about actor yeah. choices providing voices and certain conversations in the same way we've talked about directors. That's certainly a conversation worth having, I think. And it, I find that to be very exciting. And so film theory is a thing that's always evolving. It's always moving forward, upward and onward as we go. And uh, that makes me very excited and quite fired up in popular culture. Well, I, I guess it's time for us to head out back to the black. It is. It is to the void. Yeah. The endless void. There's nothing there. Just stare out into space and see more space. Where life is impossible. So we need to feel better. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to watch a Star Trek movie. That's right, dear listener. Khan! It's going to happen. Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. The rule of Star Trek is even-numbered movies are good. Odd-numbered movies are bad. I will give a nickel to whoever can tell me what that's from. <laughs> Would you? Yeah. So we're going to be watching The Wrath of Khan. We hope you've seen it already. I haven't. Oh my. I haven't. I really haven't. Give it a revisit. I'm excited. And it is a movie that I think would be interesting for the conversation to show. We, we are closing out Space Exploration March. April, it's not March anymore, April, with, uh, you know, one of the most famous uh, action sci-fi films, probably. And I'm quite fired up that we're doing it back-to-back with Serenity, because, oh my friends, there is overlap. There is a conversation to be had uh, regarding all of that. But I leave that for later. 
as we get together next week when we watch Wrath of Khan. In the meantime, dear listener, check that out. Check out something else. Watch a movie with someone you love and care about because it's more than just an hour and a half spent with a bucket of popcorn. It's about what makes life worth living. It's about the very foundation, the bones of life, and thinking about what all that stuff means. That's why we do this because <laughs> movies matter. <laughs> bones. That's what I said. And until then, we'll see you next time. Take my land, take me where I cannot stand I don't care, I'm still free You can take the sky from me Take me out to the black Tell them I ain't coming back Burn the land and all the sea You can take the sky from me serenity you can't take the sky from me